Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Hey church, it's my joy to introduce another tag preach. Why do we do tag preachers? Well, as I'm sure hopefully you know already, that our overarching belief of what we're about, the number one thing is we are witnessing to the glory of God. We seek to be a witnessing church, witness church, if you like, to witness God, to see him in his glory and savour him and then showcase witness to that glory to the world. That's uh, accomplished our vision. That's number two, to see hundreds of lives transformed and tens of congregations started. That's underpinned by our three-point mission statement, which is about blessing everybody, strengthening believers. And then the third one is to train leaders. And this, through tag preaching, is just one of the many ways that we seek to train and raise up leaders. We have three guys who are going to be preaching We have Mike Tan, our very own worship director, and Tyson Bradley, and then Shola Akinyose. They've done a super job on a wonderful psalm, Psalm 131. Such a good and relevant message for us right now in the challenging times that we are living through. Please encourage them, support them in sharing with you and seeking to serve you. Let, Let me briefly pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these guys. I just pray right now that you would make your word come alive to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name is Mike and I lead the worship team at Westminster Chapel. But today I'm going to be preaching as part of a tag team with Tyson and Shola. We're going to be looking at Psalm 131. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. But if not, the words will appear on the screen. So let's read this together. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let me pray. Dear Lord, open our ears to hear your voice speaking to us today. Open our eyes to see you in all your glory as we read through this passage and unlock it. Lord, we want to remove any barriers of pride in our lives that stop us from seeing who you are. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be starting with the first verse. Let me read it again. It says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, do you ever see pride in yourself? The Bible warns against pride in Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty means arrogant, to be arrogant or to think too highly of yourself. And I'm sure we all do that from time to time. Now, we've already come across an example of pride uh, as we've been going through our series on Daniel. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar talks about himself as if the world revolves around him, but the kingdom that he built for his own glory and majesty quickly became small and meaningless 
as he was made to dwell among the beasts of the field for a very long period of time, until one day he lifts his eyes to the heavens and finally sees who is in control and in charge all along it was God. And instead of praising himself, he praises God. So the good news is that God was able to restore him. Now, this example may be a bit extreme, but the truth is that everybody struggles with pride in some way or another, sometimes even to admit that we have it. Now, comparing yourself to others is another form of pride. For instance, you may think you're more deserving of something than others, like having a good job or getting a promotion, starting a new family or having a nice house. And these are all great things, but it's not healthy for us to compare with other people. It displays a lack of trust in God, who gives us everything that we need in the first place. And it shows an over-concern with yourself. It's inward thinking, and we can think that the world revolves around us. Here's another type of pride. It's tempting to judge people by their outward appearance especially in today's culture with Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. I'm pretending to know what that is. Even online church, right? (laughs) Have you ever edited pictures of yourself on social media before you upload them, right? If you watched the most recent series of The Apprentice, you may remember Lottie Lyon, who actually admitted that she edits her pictures on Instagram to make herself look better because she struggles with insecurity and confidence. Her security lies in how people see her on social media. Now that's sad, but I fear how many of us are in the same boat. The problem is that no matter how many followers, viewers or likes you get on social media, you'll never be truly satisfied. Surely this is not the answer. Now David, who wrote this psalm, he began as a lowly shepherd boy. He was viewed as the weakest in his family. But in his early life, he learned an important truth about God. It is that the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God is more concerned about the condition of your heart When was the last time you looked in the mirror of your heart and saw the real you? Speaking of mirrors, let's look at our verse again in parallel with another psalm also written by David, Psalm 139. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And I'm acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. David knows he can't fool God. He's not trying to pretend or prove himself. He's speaking from his heart and renouncing his pride. He says, that's not me, Lord. That's not my heart. I reject any pride in me. He goes on to say, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Notice this is the same line, pretty much, from Psalm 131. I do not concern myself 
with great matters or things too wonderful for me. To paraphrase, David is saying, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. You're infinitely more knowledgeable, knowledgeable than I am. I cannot even begin to understand your thoughts and your ways. He sees how small he is in comparison to God. He humbles himself and bows before his creator. So how should we respond when we're tempted with pride? Well, we need to turn away from it and learn to give God the glory. David could have easily fallen for the trap of pride. After all, he, he defeated Goliath and became king of Israel, God's chosen people. And if that wasn't enough, he was an incredibly talented musician, songwriter and worship leader. It would have been easy for him to think and act highly of himself. But he knew that any success that he had was only because of what God had done in his life. He always gave God the glory. Here's an example of this in 1 Samuel 17. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He says to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. His confidence was in the Lord and not in his own strength. He was clearly fighting for God and not himself. David is described as a man after God's own heart. He knew that contentment is found in God alone. David knows that having pride in ourselves stops us from seeing God and trusting in him. He doesn't cling to his own merits or achievements or strive to attain a higher position for himself. He doesn't look down on others. He doesn't concern himself with these things. Instead, he finds real lasting security in God alone. He is the answer. Only in God can we truly be satisfied because he is faithful and good and he will provide all of our needs. He knows our hearts and still he loves us. Do you need to renounce pride in your heart today so that you can draw closer to God? I encourage you to take a moment this week to pray and seek him as David did. Thank you, Mike. And uh, it is my absolute pleasure to be able to share and bring in God's word to you today, wherever you are in the world, with two of my brothers. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tyson Bradley. I've been at Westminster Chapel since about 2014. Today we are talking about a psalm which Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher from Elephant and Castle in the 1800s, said that Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And I'm inclined to agree with him. There's so much that could be said just about this verse alone, and yet I've got such little time, so I hope I don't go too fast for you, but I want to get the most out of it. Verse 2 shows us that contentment of soul is the alternative to pride that was mentioned in verse 1. So I'm going to reread verse 2 for you, this time from the English Standard Version, just so that it's fresh in our minds. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The famous Canadian comedian Jim Carrey once gave a speech at the Golden Globes where he sarcastically said, 
You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just some guy going to sleep. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey trying to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search. And now the reason why the audience of celebrities laughed at that, and why we might laugh hearing that speech, is because we all know that it would never be enough. That there's humor in thinking that if you somehow won a third Golden Globe, that you wouldn't want a fourth. When I was a non-Christian growing up, I remember thinking that if I could just drink enough alcohol and get drunk, somehow it would liberate me from my problems. As a Christian, I've sometimes been known to think that if I could just get some measure of approval or fame from serving in the church, then I would be happy. And I've had to repent of both of those attitudes at one time or another. What about you? I wonder, have you put your satisfaction in health? And then there was a very real possibility of you getting a disease or a virus for which there was no cure. Maybe you put your satisfaction in football or sports and then all the leagues were cancelled and you had nothing to cheer for. Perhaps it was in your job and then you were furloughed or made redundant. Perhaps it was entertainment and so you binged watched Netflix and you watched the whole thing and you still felt bored. Perhaps you put your satisfaction in technology and it was the only thing that could get you through lockdown and pandemic and then you somehow needed to shut off. This pandemic showed us just how easily circumstances could take your very joy or satisfaction or even your hope from you if you have put too much weight in the wrong things. Lockdown gave many of us a restless and anxious soul. It's a bit like if you use alcohol or coffee or tea to satisfy your thirst. Now, I'm not saying don't drink those things, but what I am saying is that those drinks are made to sort of speed up dehydration. And so you might feel satisfied for a moment, but the, it's almost as if the more you drink, the thirstier you get. And that's a bit what it's like when we put our satisfaction in the wrong places. We have to recognize today that we are not like David and that we need a satisfaction which circumstances cannot take from us. We need one of two levels of weaning. I'm not afraid to admit that I had to look up online what weaning is. And here's the definition I came across. It says that weaning is a process of trying to get a baby to rely upon something else for an e eventual adult diet, to get it to rely upon something else for nourishment and satisfaction. It doesn't happen overnight and it involves much discomfort. The first level of weaning is a weaning from worldliness. Some of you watching this sermon today might not be a Christian and you might just be checking out church online and that's cool, but you are relying upon a diet of worldliness apart from God for satisfaction. You might even be a Christian who's saying, you know what, Christianity isn't satisfying me today and if I just left the church and left God and left Christianity, then I would be truly happy. It didn't work for me, and I have no reason to think it's going to work for you. I mean, consider David, who wrote this psalm. He was a king. He had access to every worldly pleasure he could possibly want. Money, sex, power, whatever it was. And yet even he was weaned from those very things to something even more satisfying. 
even more satisfying than his very own pride, as we saw in verse 1. C.S. Lewis, the author of Narnia from Oxford, also wrote this book, Mere Christianity, in which he says, Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning, can really satisfy. Some of you today might need to become a child of God first, and then a weaned child of God second. The second level of weaning is a weaning from spiritual immaturity. The Apostle Paul talks about having a spiritual diet of milk versus meat. I'll never forget when our friends would take their baby boy to our favorite chicken restaurant in the whole of London, and he would have to sit there and drink powdered milk from a bottle whilst the rest of us ate glorious chicken. We used to say, you have no idea how good this chicken is. And he didn't, because he probably didn't even understand us. It was a great joy for them the day he was old enough to be able to try it. The day he was able to have something way more satisfying than powdered milk. It was a process, and it took time, but it was worth it. I wonder, are you satisfied on a diet of milk? Have you been weaned off of a spiritual childhood into spiritual maturity. You don't see someone sitting around the dinner table 25 years later saying, you know what, this steak is nice, but what I could really go for right now is a bottle of my mother's milk. That stuff used to satisfy me. I, could, I can't believe I ever gave it up. Now, first of all, that would be weird. Second of all, it would be counterproductive to your growth as a human. You're so satisfied with your diet now that you delight in it every day and you no longer long for the thing that you only once knew. Strangely, this sort of thing happens in churches all the time. There are people who have been a Christian for 10 plus years and they still are feeding off of the same milky diet as when they first got saved. And they'll say, well, isn't it nice to have the faith of a child? Now, that's not exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says to have childlike faith, not childish faith. That actually, if you have the faith of a weaned child, it is a sign of spiritual maturity and growth because you wouldn't wean a child off of its mother unless it had grown to the point it was ready to do that. And so if you are proud of the fact that you've been in the church and been a Christian a long time and you still have a spiritual diet of milk and not meat, or perhaps you've even gone from milk to starvation, it's time to rethink, refocus, and repent. We need a weaning that leads to true contentment. It's the summer holidays right now, and perhaps your kids are on their video games or their tablet or their phone or TV all day long, maybe even at this moment, and they come to you and they say those fateful words, Mom, Dad, I'm bored. We should praise God because those things were never meant to fully or ultimately satisfy us. There should be a sense in which we cry out, there must be more than this. And C.S. Lewis again rightly says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Now all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, will search for satisfaction somewhere. So what is that real thing he's talking about? Now, Augustine, writing in North Africa in the 300s, said in his book, Confessions, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself 
and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Where did Jesus go when his soul was not calmed or quieted? Well, he went into the presence of his father. He was not a child who needed something from his father. Rather, he knew the safest and best place to be was just in his father's presence. It reminds me of Psalm 1611, which says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David did not say in this psalm that he hoped to be a weaned child, or he hoped to have a quieted and calmed soul. No. He said, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child. It didn't just happen to him. It was something he had to fight for, and so do we. Psalm 43 verse 4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, says, although David is saying, I have calmed and quieted my soul, he's not saying that he is the source of his joy or his calm. Rather, he is saying that God, like the mother, is the source of his calm, of his peace, of his satisfaction. David did not produce this contentment in himself. He pursued it. And John Piper, you know, one of my favorite quotes that he says, I've even got it written in my Bible here as a daily reminder is, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. How do we know that David was satisfied in God? It doesn't say it in verses 1 to 2 that anything about God. But we know that in verse 3, David implores the whole of Israel to hope in the Lord. And I don't think he would do that unless he was willing to share a source from which he drank himself. And so Sola is now going to take us through verse 3. Uh, thank you, Mike and Tyson, for taking us through those first two verses of uh, Psalm 131. As we consider the last verse, what are we supposed to do? After renouncing pride and um, being still, David admonishes us to hope in the Lord now and forever. We see Israel is the chosen people and nation of God that he chose to bless and show his glory through. We are the Israel of today. If you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are referred to as God's chosen people. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 says, We are separated without hope or we were separated with our hope. But through Jesus Christ, we have now become made one with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 23 says, We are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. So this means we are new humanity in the Lord Jesus Christ, citizens of the kingdom of Almighty God, which means we are now fellow citizens, just like the children of Israel, and we can take hold of this word of God that commands us to put our hope in the Lord. Ephesians 3 or 6 also says, through the mystery of faith in Jesus Christ, we are here together with the children of Israel. So there's no doubt that we, like the children of Israel, can hope in the Lord as the psalmist has commanded in this last verse of Psalm 131. I would like to use this opportunity to implore you, if you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to do so today, so as to be able to take the full advantage of the benefits and blessings that belong to those who hope in the Lord. 
Yes, it's nice to take the hold on the word of God, but you need to have a relationship. And that relationship only comes by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by confessing your sin and accepting him as your Lord. So what does it mean to put our hope in the Lord? It is not like the hope that is in the world today where some people say, I hope it doesn't rain or I hope I get the job or that promotion that I'm after or I hope to pass my exams, or I hope to settle down with a beautiful spouse. No, the biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God himself has promised, and his strength and our assurance is in his faithfulness to keep his word, his promises that he has given unto us. We see in Psalm 138 verses 2b, it's which is another psalm of David, it says, I will bow down and worship you towards your holy temple and give thanks to you, to your name and your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word together with your name. So we see God has put his word and his name on the same level. He has exalted it, and therefore he watches over it to fulfill his word or his promise, whatever he has given unto us. We see King David, who, was, who wrote this psalm, is a man who is able to encourage us about putting our hope in the Lord now and forever. Because as a boy, he was given the promise of becoming the king of Israel. But it didn't come to pass. He had to wait. He had to hope. He knew what it meant to wait and hope while waiting for this promise to be fulfilled or materialized in his life. What words or promise has been spoken into your life or over you as an individual, your family, or even as a church, we are to hope to see those promises, those words spoken over us come to pass because of the faithfulness of our God who has given us the guarantee of those words or the words he has spoken into our lives being fulfilled. We see in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill it? So we see God watches over his word to fulfill it. There are numerous promises in the Bible, but because of our time, I will only give us a few, uh, which we could actually claim and put our faith and trust. Now you could still go home later and search the word of God or remember those words that I spoke unto you and hope in those words to come to pass and see them come to reality in your life. In Psalm 130, verse 7, it says, Israel is commanded to hope in the Lord, for with him is unfailing love and full redemption. So we see that we can hope for the redemption of the Lord in our lives. We can hope for his unfailing love. The Bible makes us to know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have it my last life. So we see that we have redemption from sin, from sickness, and from Satan. If we will be able to put our hope and trust in the living God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, mounting up with wings like eagle, running and not go weary, walking and not being faint. So if you need strength to be able to continue your walk with the Lord, or strength, even physically, the Bible makes us to know if we hope and trust in the Lord, we will receive the strength from the Lord to be able to actually fulfill all these aspects, all these needs in our life. 
in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, the word of God says, the Lord is good to those who hope in him, to those who seek him. If you're looking for the goodness of the Lord in your life, put your hope in the Lord. It is the word of God, and he stands to watch over his word to bring it to pass. In Isaiah chapter 33, verse 18, it says, the Lord watches over those who fear him and hope in him and hope in his unfailing love so we see that we have divine security by putting our hope in the lord so whatever your situation your circumstance you do not need to fret or worry because we have divine security as a result of putting our hope and trust in the lord and Isaiah chapter 49 verse 23 see it says those who hope in the lord will not be disappointed so if we hope in the lord trust in him there will be no disappointments in our life because we are fully trusting in him and hoping in his faithfulness to bring his promises to pass in our life and in first uh, timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says hope in god because he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment and that is the ultimate contentment God provides everything for us. If only we can hope and trust in him. Whatever is our need, it might be spiritual, it might be physical, it might be financial, it might be matrimonial. Whatever it is, God is the ultimate God who gives us ultimate contentment because he provides and supplies our every need. And finally, Psalm 37 verse 9 says, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So therefore, if you need possession of land, physical land, or even spiritual land, take integrity for Christ as a believer, your neighborhood, your community, the city of London, the nation, the word of God makes us to know that if we hope in him, we will inherit that land as a result of calling upon him and trusting in his word. So hoping in the Lord fuels a life of contentment and we will have no worry or anxiety of anything or tomorrow. We will easily be able to obey the word of God in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, which commands us to cast all our anxiety of life onto him. So the secret of casting all our anxiety of the Lord is hoping in him, trusting him, now and forever and i believe as you do so the lord will enable you to enjoy the contentment that he has purchased for us through the precious blood of christ upon the cross of Calvary by us trusting in him and his word and his faithfulness thank you and god bless you Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.